Welcome to the Expert PK and Newbie Podcast. Hello and welcome to another episode of the Expert PK and Newbie Podcast, the podcast where each week we take a passage of the Bible, we read it together and we get the three different perspectives off of three different people. With me as always, I have Morgan Carter, our newbie. Hi. Lachlan Miller, our expert. Hello. And I'm Joshua Lee, the PK Pastors Kid. How are we all doing? Yeah, yeah. I mean, our producer banned us from using the word busy, but I'm mm. just going to say it anyway. I've had a really busy <laughs> week, Josh. <laughs> but sort of the um, uh, biggest achievement of the week was probably I finished a talk I'm giving at my brother-in-law's church in a few weeks' time, where they've asked me to do like basically a seminar on Does God Exist? And so got to pull out all my apologetics books that I haven't looked at in a while and just, yeah, have written a seminar ready to convince some people that God really is real. I mean, isn't it just going to be a very short one where you just say, yes. Yes, but you need to support your point, Josh. (laughs) True, true. (laughs) Anyway, that's been my week. How's your week been, Morgan? Good. Melbourne is freezing at the moment and raining and just really miserable. So it's made it quite a hard week to get through been counting down for the weekend so nice to have two days off but yeah just cold I'm really cold what about you Josh I too am also going to use that word busy I've I've been I've been busy it's uh, just been busy with work and I've been working at my old film school um, helping out there which is always nice to sort of go back to but just been real real busy having to work then also juggle everything else and all the other commitments you've said yes to mm-hmm. <laughs> I mean it's my own fault I've said yes I've said yes to so many things but it's not like it's not unachievable but it's just a lot to sort of juggle on the plate so no, busy, but doing well, you know, the work in editing this podcast and the next episode, so that keeps on coming out each week. But yeah, doing doing well, keen to continue on in the book of Genesis. So Lockie, what chapters are we doing today? Today we're going to start in the second half of chapter 25, and we're going to go all the way to the end of chapter 28. Today's passage comes from the book of Genesis, starting in the second half of chapter 25 until the end of chapter 28. In these chapters, we read about the birth of Isaac's two sons, Esau and Jacob. However, none of these characters are shown in a particularly good light. Isaac repeats the sins of his father when he pretends that his wife is his sister. Esau despises his birthright when he sells it to Jacob, and Jacob deceives his father in order to steal his brother's blessing. Last episode, we saw the death of both Sarah and Abraham, Mm -hmm. and we sort of was looking at the that you know chapter of Genesis closing and sort of the handing over the torch to Isaac. Um, we also saw Ishmael's descendants as well, and sort of we saw that wrapping up. And we sort of talked about how when there's multiple like children from someone, and when we're sort of talking about descendants. The Bible likes to wrap up one descendant's line so that we're not confused when we're actually following the, how would we put it, like the true descendant's the line? Chosen the chosen line, I believe, line. is the language we used last episode. Yeah. And so it was, you know, it was almost sort of sad because we've been with Abraham and Sarah for quite a while. We've seen, you know, their journey, the ups and downs. And, and so we had to say goodbye to Abraham and Sarah there. But now... We're in full swing of Isaac mm. and Rebecca, because mm. we also get Rebecca here. Yeah, they have two sons. Yeah, yeah. So verse 19 is where we've started our reading from today. And as we've said a few times, this is the phrase that shows that you're in a new part of the book of Genesis, which is, this is the account of the family line of Abraham's son, Isaac. However, in the same way that in Abraham's story, it was, this is the account of terror, so Abraham's father. So in the same way that this, when it says this is the account of Isaac, what we really get is Isaac's sons are the main people in focus here. So Isaac sort of Isaac and Rebecca sort of become sort of like background characters because now it's more we're focusing on Esau and Jacob, mm. and that's the, that's sort of like our main focus as we're as we're going through. It's not to say that we don't see the it's more like as we as we'll go through it more events that entail with Isaac. Because as we're gonna as we're gonna sort of see, history is gonna sort of repeat itself. Mm-hmm. It it seems. First, when I started reading this, um, when it said my version says these are the de- generations of Isaac, I thought, oh, here comes another genealogy. <laughs> but it was just a nice little short snippet, which was good. But we find out that Rebecca is also barren. 
Seems like a common story in this line of people God has chosen. But also, mm. I'm sure it was many years and a long time for Rebecca, but in terms of the story here in the Bible, it's the shortest period of barrenness ever because at the start of verse 21, she finds out she's barren. Then Isaac prays for her. And then by the end of verse 21, she conceives and becomes pregnant. And so she's really only barren for half a verse. It's just such a big contrast from like what Abraham had to go through mm. to get that. And then he just prayed and it's happened. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, it makes you wonder what would have happened if Abraham had have just prayed for Sarah to become <laughs> pregnant. Mm, mm, would have, you know, would have the trials and tribulations still would have, have to, happened or it was like, oh, power of prayer, yeah, good work. <laughs> but I really appreciate that that is Isaac's first response, mm. is that he truly believes that whether he has a child or not is fully in the hands of God and he lifts his requests before Yahweh and Yahweh responds before the verse ends. Yeah. I mean, true, like, you know, looking at the sort of the comparing and contrast, Isaac here is fully trusting in God. Abraham kind of, like, you know, he, he they, they took matters in their own hands, essentially, mm. and, and decided to, to sort of maybe force the situation where here, yeah, it's just, it's just straight, just prayer, trusting in God. But it sounds like it was quite an unpleasant pregnancy for Rebecca. Now, the NIV here says the baby's jostled within her, but that is actually too gentle of a word. A more literal translation is the baby's smashed against each other within her. <laughs> my my version, <laughs> yeah, my version says struggled with each other. I don't know what it's like to even carry a child, let alone <laughs> like let alone twins. But I can't imagine how, like you know twins, but then twins smashing, wrestling, struggling with each other inside of. The womb. Mm-hmm. Mine just says struggled together within her. Which is meant to be a sign of what the rest of their life is going to be like. Mm. Like from their very conception, they were effectively at each other's throats. They were in conflict. They were fighting for superiority. And that is going to come out through the rest mm. of their story. Oh, and, and God says it here. Rebecca asks why this is happening. And it's like, well, your your sons will become two nations and those two nations will be rivals. Mm. They will continue to fight each other. Yep. Why is that? Like, why, why is that a thing? We know from Romans 9 that God chooses people for his purposes and he can make his choice before they're even born and that God's ways are not man's ways. And so this story is definitely alluded to when Paul has that discussion in Romans 9. So I guess to answer your question... We're not really sure why, but God declared it to be so. Spice things up. I don't know. (laughs) (laughs) Decided Rebecca's life would be too boring. (laughs) But I think everything God does has a purpose. And what we're seeing here is he's trying to create a nation. And having a relative that will become the Edomites is, in God's plan, an important step in that process. Yeah, his his sort of vision will probably get revealed to us later Mm. of like, this is why... These two are struggling. I wonder too if they, like he, the Lord knew that they were going to be boys because like it would be a different circumstance for girls being rivals from two different nations. And then we see them born and given names, Esau and Jacob. Throughout the story though, there's a lot of reference to Esau being hairy, mm-hmm. which in my study Bible it says Esau means hairy, but like why is that so, like why is it focused on why do they talk about it a lot? I think it's just a way to show who this character is. So you're right, your study Bible is almost completely right, which is that the name Esau is loosely connected to the Hebrew word for hairy. It's not a mm. direct translation, but it's there's an allusion there. And I think in contrast, we see that Jacob is very smooth-skinned, barely any hair on him. And so we have these two complete opposites. And I liked it just because he was holding... Esau's heel, he was called Jacob. Like, why? (laughs) (laughs) Um, In the same way that the name Esau has a loose connection to the Hebrew word for hairy, the name Jacob has a loose connection to the Hebrew word for heel. And so because he came out grabbing Esau's heel, they decided to give him the name Jacob. Now, literal translation of Jacob is, may God protect, but his name also sounds a bit like the Hebrew word for heel. Unfortunately for Jacob, but also I think quite providentially because it comes up a lot in his character, mm. um, to grasp someone by the heel was apparently a figure of speech to deceive them. 
And so that was a well-known saying back in the days to grasp someone's heel is to deceive them. And we see that that meaning of his name also comes out quite a bit in the rest of his story. It's sort of like these names are foreshadowing the characters that they will become. Mm. I mean, it's probably make maybe more of a stretch because like if you were to think of like a hunter, like maybe they're wearing fur coats and things like that. It's like like you know, it's like oh, okay, but in terms of Jacob's name though, in terms of what that means by being like holding someone's heel, that definitely is going to come up, especially when we get up to um this next section. But just before we get to that next section, just a quick fun fact with Lachlan. It says Isaac was 60 years old when the twins were born. Yes. Which means they were born 15 years before the death of Abraham. So Genesis doesn't always put things in a perfect order. I think it wanted to wrap up Abraham's story so we could now focus just on Jacob and Esau's story. But Abraham was alive to see the birth of his grandchildren. Do you reckon with that fact, then, if he saw Isaac pray and get Rebecca made not barren, he was watching that like, bugger. <laughs> <laughs> I think potentially we could maybe see Abraham as the influence that was probably like, oh, yeah, Isaac, just pray. <laughs> pray about it. Don't go through my Try years this, of struggle. Try first-hand experience. <laughs> it's going to work. <laughs> That's funny. Before we get to the next part, would you be able to just explain what a birthright is? Yeah, definitely. So the birthright of the firstborn effectively meant they had the right to be the head of the family once the current head of the family passed away. At least in the later times of Israel, the birthright of the firstborn was also a double share of the inheritance. And so there's two sons here. Instead of being split 50-50 when Isaac dies, the firstborn or the birthright meant that a double portion would go to the firstborn. Even though it was probably like two or three minutes difference with birth times. Yeah, literally. <laughs> but there was really important about who is the firstborn, who is going to take over the family once the current patriarch passes away. And so there was a lot of leadership that was granted to the firstborn. And so that is effectively what the birthright is. It's about inheritance, but it's also about leadership. And and just siblings in general that will fight amongst each other. Like, you know, like you know, you always you always hear twins also arguing about well i was born one minute before so you know i'm the oldest you know it's like yeah but still like you know like even just from a sibling point of view they get like siblings always sort of tend to butt heads as well i'm also looking around our table and realizing that we are all the firstborns in our families and so i really wish we went back to this old school way of double portion birthright for the firstborn i'd be a big fan i'm the only born (laughs) yes but you're still the firstborn (laughs) I got all the birthrights. Mm. <laughs> that is true. So why now? Like, why did he want the birthright now? What's well, a deceiving thing, right? It's like Jacob knew that the birthright would go to Esau. So he sort of took the opportunity to take advantage of Esau. Mm. It's interesting that, yeah, you go straight to the deceptive idea because Jacob definitely deceives others later in this story. But in this particular part at the end of 25, he's very upfront with what he wants. Mm. Like he's a master manipulator here potentially, but at least at this point, he doesn't straight up lie. No. Esau comes to him and he wants Esau to sell him his birthright. It's like it's come because he's had a really bad day and he's just tired, like overtired from being out and about. He's just come and he's like, right, I want it. Like I'm done. Well, we're also told Esau is like a very skilled hunter. And yet here he is coming in from the field, having not caught anything. He has provided no food and he is starving. The other thing I would also want to add here is there's a likelihood that Jacob knew about the prophecy given to his parents before he was born. So the prophecy literally said that the older will serve the younger. So potentially Jacob has been waiting his whole life for a moment to claim the birthright for himself because God has effectively ordained it like literally before jacob was born god said that this would be the case which no wonder like if he did hear it no wonder he's probably like cocky and Mm. like knowing that he can get this yeah and just waiting for an opportunity yeah and he sees a starving esau who loves red soup so much that his nickname is edom which means red (laughs) why does esau say i'm about to die is that because he's so hungry yeah so i think what we're meant to see here is esau as particularly emotional in this moment. He's fainting, he's gasping, he's then he gulps down the food. Like he's he's not in a great state and I think Jacob has latched on at the perfect point to manipulate his way into the rights of the firstborn. It's interesting how just by like 
swearing that you know this is like I'm giving you my birthright that Jacob gets the birthright because like all verbal communication here it's not like you know like <laughs> sign like, a contract like sign a contract and you know you go into the agreement get lawyers involved you know like all that like Esau could have potentially later just been like nah I take that back or overpower Jacob with his strength or you know like done something here I like you know I don't know does Jacob actually get the birthright apart from like later deceiving and getting a blessing from uh, Isaac but before we get there well I think I've brought it up before but a bunch of excavations happened at a city called Nuzi where they found a bunch of old documents which has really revealed a bunch of insight into the times of Abraham Isaac and Jacob Mm. and what they found in one of these was a contract for one brother selling his birthright to another brother Mm. And so we know that from this time period, it is at least possible to sell your birthright. Mm. Now, what we found seemed like a bit of more formal signed agreement, but at least the concept of selling your birthright seems like it was very much a real thing at this time. And if it's, you know, if it's that culture of the the firstborn inherits that leadership, that, um, like, you know, the birthright, the inheritance, then like from a cultural perspective it would hold so much weight mm. to it that even just by uttering those words, the weight like the weight of it like is like a signed contract, mm. I'd imagine. And what's really interesting is how this story ends. Because you'd almost expect this story to end with, and so Jacob supplanted his brother, or so Jacob tricked Esau out of his birthright. But the way that the passage actually ends is Esau despised his birthright. And so later on in Hebrews 12, it also picks up this idea of the main bad thing going on in the end of this chapter is the fact that Esau did not value his birthright, Mm. did not value what he was meant to do and receive from being the firstborn. And almost as a throwback to Eve, the reason he despises it is because of his appetite, is because he wanted food. It's almost as if he's valuing the like the physical there and then mm. rather than what is to come the reward that is to come later mm. so when we were reading preparing for this I actually asked both Josh and Lockie if I was reading the right bit because I feel like I've heard this bits of this story before almost identically yes chapter 26 so... <laughs> is like a direct repeat of Two stories we've seen before, Genesis 12 and Genesis 20, seem to be exactly repeated in 26, but now with Isaac as the main character. And I thought, you know, Isaac prays for Rebecca and we're like, oh, you know, okay, change, like, you know, let's, it's, uh, that's more positive. Maybe, maybe Isaac's learned from Abraham's mistakes. And now we get the same story. (laughs) (laughs) Literally. It's paralleled in so many ways. There's a famine. There's a plan to go to Egypt. Mm. They stay instead in Gerar. They deceive the person about whether it is a wife or a sister. The text literally says that the wife was beautiful. You have the ruler who's really concerned that they may have committed adultery. Like you just, and then you have this ruler's rebuke of Isaac or in the previous story, Abraham, because of their actions. Like it's just so perfectly a parallel. And I think why we see this is just to show that there is a chronic weakness in God's chosen material. Mm. Almost in the same way that Peter denied Jesus three times. Here in Genesis, we have the patriarchs showing the same sin three times in a row. It's like, you know, you jump back into chapter 20 and the heading says, Abraham deceives Abimelech. Mm -hmm. We jump to 26 and it says, Isaac deceives Abimelech. (laughs) Like, you know, like word for word, it is like the same thing happening. And so much of the same exact language. Now, it's probably important to point out that this Abimelech is probably a different Abimelech than Abraham's situation. I wonder if that was the case. 90 years has passed between these two events. Yeah, because I was reading going, was Abimelech really young during Abraham's time? <laughs> and now he's really old. old? Like, uh, you know, and then also it's like, did he know about, like, like, did he remember about Abraham? But yeah, it would make sense that different people... I think I said in our episode when we looked at this story from Abraham's perspective is that Abimelech is most likely a title Mm. similar to Pharaoh. Like it's a title of the king of this area. It must have been a real fear. Mm. Like for this to happen a third time, you know, it was bad enough that it happened once, twice, and now with 
Abraham's son Isaac. Like it must have been a real fear that they were going to go like steal your wife away. Which means either this was such a common occurrence that both Abraham and Isaac felt the need to preemptively protect themselves, or as the text seems to indicate, their wives were truly beautiful. Like it explicitly says back in Abraham's story that Sarai was so beautiful that Abraham was worried. Whereas here it talks about how beautiful Rebecca was. And so potentially they were just next level stunning. But also the way that it is discovered here in chapter 26 is a bit different from the other times. When you mean discovered as in like the deception? Yes, the deception is uncovered. Yeah. Because for Abraham's case, both times God sent curses and bad dreams upon those who had taken Sarai. Whereas here in Isaac's case, it's a slightly different way of discovering it. Bimelech sees. What does he see, Josh? But sometime later, Abimelech, king of the Philistines, looked out his window and saw Isaac caressing Rebecca. Yes. <laughs> and exclaimed, she is obviously, obviously your wife. So yes, a bit different to, to a curse. There's actually a play on words going on here. So a more literal translation is he saw Isaac laughing with Rebecca, but the exact wording there is more like a flirty laugh. And so you've got Isaac, whose name means he laughs, laughing with Rebecca. And the king sees this and goes, wow, they he's so at ease. He is himself around her. That must mean they are married. Something's up. Something's different here. Yeah. It's not what they say. But just like how Abimelech in Abraham's time, Abimelech, he also exclaims the same thing of like, how could you have done this? You have brought us, like, you know, this could have been a great sin that you brought us. Which shows that the Philistines here took adultery really seriously. I think we've seen that in both times that they are mentioned, is that they don't want to be guilty of committing adultery by taking another man's wife. And yet that was always the fear of Abraham and now Isaac. I mean, it does give us like sort of context for the rest of the story with Isaac and his family living in this land mm. and then the, the, the rest of the interactions with Abimelech. Yes, because Isaac living in this land has lots of negative interactions. It's basically a bit, it's a bit like a game of every time he digs a well... Then they come and they fill it up and they destroy it. (laughs) The poor guy is wasting so much resources to try to build wells here. And even the names that he gives the wells that he keeps digging is Esek means dispute, Sitna means opposition, Rehoboth means room, which is, hey, this is finally the first well where we have room for us to live. Like, there's a lot of fighting going on over these wells. And that's because Isaac and his, before him, his father Abraham, their wealth was really in their livestock. And so wells are so important. So they cover up Abraham's well, the one that they gave him. And by cover up, it's more fill in. So they have to even... They have to re-dig it, it out. Yeah. So where you said before that Abraham would have still been alive during this, is that still the case? Because where it says in 24, for my servant Abraham's sake, is he still alive? No. So... I think we're only meant to see that Abraham was alive for the birth of the twins back in 25, but then towards the end of 25, where it says the boys grew up, I think during that time frame is when Abraham actually died. So where it says, like, for my servant Abraham's sake, is that because he was so highly regarded still? Yes. Even after death? Absolutely. The Yeshiba, they went back to the same place that they all went before? Yeah, because I'm pretty sure we saw Abraham build an altar at Beersheba. And now again, we have Isaac doing exactly what his father did. Mm. And like them going to Beersheba is their moment of celebration of they've had all this conflict over wells. And now finally they've started to dig some wells that they don't have conflict over because they finally signed this treaty with Abimelech that people are going to stop filling in their wells every time (laughs) they build them. And so finally Isaac has peace in his living situation. It's funny how they like they fill in the well rather than just take ownership over it. Like it's a real sort of like we're not even like it's going to be mine, but you're not even going to be able to use it. Like sort of a slap in the face, which I think is the difference in the lifestyles, right? Because we've talked previously that most of the tribes that lived in the land of Canaan were based around cities or settlements, whereas you have Abraham and his family that continues to be this almost semi-nomadic living in tents tending their livestock type Mm. living situation. 
And so these nations that were well-established with their cities didn't particularly need wells in the middle of nowhere. Mm. But they probably didn't want this large group of people often wandering through their land in search of water. Yeah, because it probably invites people to come and set up camp there because there is now water there. That would make sense. Mm. And just like with Abraham, it's probably also to like important to remember that with Isaac, the household is more than just Isaac, Rebecca, the two sons. Mm-hmm. It is a whole group of people. We have the serv- the you know servants, most likely slaves as well. You know, a, a full household, if mm. you, if you will, more than just the standard family. So moving moving forward from wells and <laughs> <laughs> well, and well, 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 and the dispute over water, as we said, very important. Probably not the most interesting thing in the world. <laughs> we get up to Esau. Yeah, we return back to Esau and Jacob. Mm, we do. And Esau marries mm-hmm. two, two women here. Yep. What? <laughs> <laughs> yep. Esau having two wives as a starting point is negative, but then also, as becomes apparent, the fact that his wives come from the land of Canaan is also seen as negative because the Canaanites are mm. a sexually immoral, paganistic society. And often in the Bible, we see that by intermarrying with these types of people is what brings doom to Israel as a nation later on. And so this very first action is meant to be seen as negative. And you see in verse 35 that these two wives of Esau were a source of grief for Isaac and Rebekah. So they're not, their in-laws are not a fan of them. No, and I, I like how my NLT version puts it. But Esau's wives made life miserable for Isaac and Rebekah. Mm. Yeah, mine says they made life bitter. Bitter. All synonyms for the same idea. Oh, definitely. These were not pleasant women in the eyes of Isaac and Rebecca. And so the conflict between with well, with Esau is sort of sort of like arising now. Mm. Like the, you know, it was specifically stated that I'm between Jacob and Isaac was the conflict. But we're sort of seeing like the seeds of like this conflict happening. I mean, even just within the household, it's like it's not all sort of like pretty and nice mm-hmm. people getting along it's now sort of we're now like we see the the birthright being taken away and now we're sort of really now going to get into gear of these two at each other mm-hmm. and from the end of 25 like we see that rebecca always favored jacob and isaac always favored esau yeah and so they had their favorites <laughs> and i think favoritism is Part of the reason there is probably so much conflict within this family. Because as we see now, get, getting into chapter 27, Rebecca is going to be at odds with Isaac, mm. trying to get, you know, what she think is is right for Jacob. And I think as we hit 27, we see all four of these main characters in a negative light. Like they're almost equally at fault. So you have... Isaac, who fully well knows that his wife, Rebecca, was given a word from the Lord that the younger would serve the older, and yet despite knowing that, says Esau, I want to give you the blessing of the firstborn. Mm. You've got Esau, who knowingly has sold his birthright to Jacob. Now, part of that birthright is this blessing. And so Esau Mm. knows that he's already sold this to Jacob, and yet when Isaac says, I'm going to give you the blessing of the firstborn as part of your birthright, Esau is super keen to claim it, even though he's technically sold it away. And then you have Jacob and Rebekah, who, in trying to get what Jacob seems to be owed, use lying and deception, and Mm. just, they go about it in such a destructive way. Yeah. And so all four characters here really show it in such a negative light as this story unfolds. None of this story is good. Mm. Like it's all icky and just like, you know, to the lengths that they're going to here as well. Like it's it's like, it's not what it's like, you know, the deception is really going to the full extent of like, and, and let us like, you know, set the stage here. Rebecca and Jacob are trying to deceive Isaac to give the, uh, to give the blessing. Like, you know, so Esau is going to get the blessing from Isaac. Jacob and Rebecca see this and they want the blessing to go to Jacob. So they dress Jacob up to look like, I um, to not to look like Isaac, to look like Esau. Because mm, Isaac's eyesight has gone on him, which mm. is what the first verse 27 says. Yeah, so he's practically a blind man. So the only way he's going to sort of know who Esau is is through sound, touch, smell. smell. And so they manipulate him 
and they sort of take advantage of his blindness. Mm. You know, so it's like like it's really like I don't know, like scummy stuff of like <laughs> like you know, yeah. like like really taking advantage of this old man that is just doesn't know any better. <laughs> It might be helpful to just know what the blessing actually is. Like, why is it so important? Why does she want that for him? Yeah. So a blessing was basically a prayer that the patriarch would pray over their son. And so they viewed this as so highly important because they believed that the prayer that was offered would be actually taken by God and enacted and applied. And so they saw it as almost like an authoritative type of prayer that would shape the very future of the person being blessed. And so they want that really positive, powerful prayer for Jacob rather than for Esau. And I think it's also probably important to add that these blessings are only authoritative if God chooses to enact upon it. Yes. So later on, we'll see Laban giving a blessing upon Leah and Rachel as they leave. And I often read that story and go, but like, why would Yahweh listen to the pagan that is Laban? Like, why does <laughs> your words mean anything? But there's something different here about Isaac giving the blessing because it's almost in the action of giving the blessing, he's passing on all the promises that he inherited from his father Abraham that were given to Abraham by God. He's passing that on to his next generation. What's interesting is, like, God is not mentioned anywhere in this story. Like, in terms of he doesn't intervene or... He doesn't back up Isaac's blessing. Like this, this all feels very like human fighting each other. And that is often the story of most of the Bible is you don't see God's direct involvement except for the more rare cases, but you often get to see him working behind the scenes. Mm. And so potentially if we looked really, really hard at chapter 27, we might begin to see God working behind the scenes to make sure that the one he has selected from before birth, he selected Jacob to mm. be the one that the chosen line continues through. And while we can say that Jacob and Rebecca's actions were sinful in making sure this happens, we still see that that is what is achieved in this story. Because it's almost undeniable that Jacob lies multiple times in the course of getting this blessing from his father. He literally says, I am Esau. Like it's a blatant, mm. direct deception. Going off what you said about how like, God knew who they were and designed them like that. Do you think that's why they weren't identical twins? They were really easy to tell apart? Potentially that's part of it. Mm. Yeah. So to continue sort of unpacking this story here, they've, as we said before, dressed Jacob up. They've been able to convince Isaac that he's Esau and time and, and as we just said, keeps on lying about who, who he is. Isaac gives the blessing mm -hmm. and then we see Esau burst in <laughs> <laughs> i've always liked esau's comment of isn't he rightly named jacob like as we said before jacob can mean to deceive or to mm. cheat and here esau laments man isn't that such a good name for him mm. my brother who lies and cheats and deceives yeah you're fulfilling your namesake here mm. and then he gets very very angry which rightfully so I think I would be angry too. <laughs> if, what, if your brother snuck in and got the blessing of the firstborn over you, Josh. But it's not even like snuck in. It's like, you know, rocked up to my parents' house one day and my brother was looking exactly like me. <laughs> <laughs> you know, there's there's a bit more to it than like, you know, when they, when you can see that they've they've gone out of their way to like really deceive, that's like a knife in the back sort of like They've put a lot of effort into this. I'm enjoying trying to picture your brother looking like you. Yeah, it would be. <laughs> He's a fair bit more muscular than you are, Josh. And, and taller. <laughs> <laughs> and our hair, like our hair is different. <laughs> and then just while we're jumping on the feeling bad for Esau bandwagon, he's like, well, father, please still give me a blessing. And then the blessing Isaac gives him is shocking. It's like, you will not live anywhere near Earth's riches. You will live by the sword. You will serve your brother. Like, it's just, it's rough. Which doesn't make sense if Isaac favoured Esau. Mm. Like, why not then just go, or even just, I take that back? Like, does that work? According to the story, it seems like he can't. Mm. I suspect he had two blessings in mind. He had the one he was going to give to his favourite child, Esau, uh. and then the one that he was going to give to Jacob. But then they've been subverted, and so he's just been left to give the one... 
to Esau now that he had planned for his younger son. So because he planned it, he then can't come up with a new as equal blessing. Mm. He has he's sort of forced now to to give him this lesser one for lack of a better way of describing it and we also see isaac here effectively operating as a prophet because the blessings he gives here is exactly what happens in their relationships going forward Mm. like the blessings he bestows upon jacob is how jacob will live it's the promises of abraham now being applied to jacob and his family and what he says here about esau also will happen and so there's something actually authoritative about Isaac's blessings, mm. which I don't think is true of everyone who gives a blessing, which might be a unique thing about Isaac being part of the promised line. If if Esau had gotten Jacob's blessing, could have the story changed and we, instead of following Jacob's line, follow Esau's line? I mean, if we want to play the what if game. Yeah, yeah like, you know, <laughs> just playing the what if. Technically, anything is possible. But we do know, again, before they were born, God had chosen Jacob as the one. Yeah. Like that's how this whole story began is that God, for whatever reason, whatever purposes he had, chose Jacob as mm. the next one. So arguably, regardless of whatever blessing Isaac mm. gives, the, the chosen was still Jacob. Yes. Why couldn't they both just have the blessing? <laughs> yeah, it would have been nice, wouldn't it? Because that wasn't the plan, Morgan. <laughs> that's the only answer I have for you. What does it mean by you shall break his yoke from your neck? And so... God promised or predicted that the older Esau would serve the younger Jacob. Now, this is jumping forward a fair bit in the story, but what we see is that Esau and his entire family moves out of the land of Canaan, leaving it just for Jacob. And I think this is effectively this bit of Isaac's predictive blessing coming true, which is rather than live under the the yoke of his brother Jacob, rather than serving his younger brother, he moves away breaks the yoke, and lives his own life in a new part of the world. Now, yoke, because I remember asking this when we were going mm. through <laughs> Matthew. Uh, Matthew, and it was like us getting, conf- well, some of us getting confused. <laughs> yeah, don't throw me under this bus. <laughs> <laughs> some of us getting confused about yoke and talking and, and equally yoked, and it's like, do they mean egg? But it was more the the bit of the wooden sort of structure that you would put onto livestock, a cow, mm. that would pool whatever like was plowing the field yes yeah we're thinking the farming use of the word yoke, yoke. <laughs> not the egg use of the yeah. word yoke which are spelt differently guys it's so <laughs> if you just noticed how it was spelt <laughs> that's josh not me oh okay <laughs> oh, in matthew you were definitely confused as well morgan i I'm, was not i'm sorry for assuming you were also confused here <laughs> I know now not to think of it as an egg that the, the, that the <laughs> the egg will not be that the egg will be broken from the neck. <laughs> it's not that correct. While we're reflecting on other kind of sad things from this story, so we have here Esau being so angry that he wants to kill Jacob, and so Rebecca, for Jacob's safety, comes up with a plan to get him out of town, which is go to my brother Laban live with him for a short while, find a wife there, marry. But I just need to point out that Rebecca and Jacob never reunite. Uh, Rebecca hopes that it's a real short stay with her brother, but Jacob ends up staying with her brother for like 20 years. And so they started this whole thing because Rebecca wanted her son Jacob to be the one who gets the blessing, to be the preeminent one. And yet, because of their deception, because of the way they went about getting this blessing, Rebecca will never see Jacob again. Another sad moment. Yeah, just bring the mood down a bit. Mm. But also it's a really good excuse for getting Jacob out of town. Like all Rebecca has to do is go to Isaac and go, you know how we have those two daughters-in-law that we absolutely hate? I don't want that to happen again. Send Jacob away, help him find a wife from amongst my relatives. And at the same time, that means Jacob is safe from Esau. Like, it's out of Jacob's safety, so it's, like, good. But there's another bit of, like, slight manipulation, like, there-ish. Yeah. And so Jacob begins the journey to his mother's brother, his uncle. And I think last episode, Morgan, you were talking about how far that journey was when Abraham's servant went from Abraham to go find Rebecca. Yeah, 900 Ks. Yeah. Well, again, that's what Jacob is about to travel. It's a fair distance. Hmm. 
And it's another moment of like sending someone off to find a wife. Hmm. And speaking of finding another wife, Esau, it seems for the first time, discovers that his parents absolutely hate his two current wives. <laughs> it gets seems to get really offended by it. So that he goes to Ishmael, so his uncle, Abraham's other son, and finds a third wife. Because that'll fix it. <laughs> I don't know if that's the solution. Probably could have got rid of the other two mm. and started fresh. Yeah, well, at this point in the story, he has three wives. <laughs> we will see that he picks up a few more where we see him next. But anyway, <laughs> he has at least four wives. Oh, my gosh. Not what we would do. <laughs> no, definitely not. Ishmael, maybe counselling first. Let's, let's start there. Let's, let's work on you, Ishmael. You mean Esau. What did I just say? <laughs> Ishmael. Ishmael. Ah, I'm getting the two confused in my head. I mean, it's fair. They are both... The first sibling who is not chosen mm, and in two successive generations. In two successive generations. And Isaac and Jacob are more common names these days yep. as well. So it's a lot easier in my brain to comprehend. But it's harder for me. With like I've had to like go, okay, Ishmael, Ishmael, Ishmael. When we've been looking at it and now it's like... Esau, Esau, Esau. Not like having to... Sw- like, all right, don't don't worry about Ishmael anymore. <laughs> You're going to be dreaming that tonight, like Ishmael, Ishmael, Ishmael. Ishmael, Ishmael, Ishmael. <laughs> Sounds like some weird magical incantation. <laughs> Say it three times. <laughs> Again, in the next bit um, that's titled Jacob's Dream, we see kind of the significance of Abraham, where it says, I am the Lord, the God of Abraham, your father. Mm. Like, so respect, like still respected even after he's gone. Yeah, very much so. Because as we saw in the the overarching story of Genesis, you have the awful Tower of Babel judgment and you're like, where is the hope coming from? Like every other story in Genesis has had an element of hope and mercy, but we don't see it here. And then yeah. out of the Tower of Babel, you see that God chooses one man. He chooses Abraham and he goes through you. I will bless all nations. You are the person of hope that is going to bring hope to all nations that have now scattered across the world. I guess there is the hope in the end where it says, behold, I am with you and we'll keep you wherever you go and we'll bring you back to this land. I'll not leave you until I've done what I've promised you. It's really similar to Abraham. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Because all the promises to Abraham have come through his sons. Like it's gone to Isaac and now it's come to Jacob. And so these are the vessels of hope for the rest of the world. Abraham was sort of the first good relationship in a long time that Yahweh had with a human. And now he continues that onwards through Abraham's family. Is Esau kind of gone, dead, non-existent now? Because we're focusing on Jacob and don't hear about Esau here. Esau is very much alive and well, but Esau is back in the land of Canaan. Whereas, as we just said, Jacob is starting his 900 kilometer journey away from Esau to escape his murderous wrath. Like, yes. Are we going to see Esau again or is he gone? Yes. No, yeah. we'll see him again. Oh, yeah. <laughs> he comes back. Well, technically Jacob comes back, but regardless. <laughs> mm. But yes, it's, it's important to note now, Jacob has fled mm. because, he, because of Esau's wrath and yep. wanting to kill him. There is a threat of Jacob never wanting to go back. Mm. Can you just sum up what the actual dream is? Well, this is where we get Jacob's ladder, right? Or... A better translation is Stairway to Heaven. <laughs> I'm not even joking. Yeah, <laughs> stairway is legitimately a better translation than Ladder. Well, yeah, because <laughs> it, it says like he dreamt of a stairway yeah. that reached up to heaven. To summarise the dream, as Morgan has asked, which feels like we should return to her question, yes. is Jacob has a dream where he sees literally a stairway and God's angels are descending up and down this stairway. And what that seems to suggest to Jacob is that the Lord is with him. He gets a glimpse into heaven and he sees that wherever he goes, even though he's leaving the land of promise, he gets the realization that the Lord will be with him wherever he goes. That's a bit nice. It's also interesting because we've already talked about the Tower of Babel. And in the Tower of Babel, humanity is trying to build a tower to get up to heaven. And yet Jacob then has this insight into the spiritual world where it's revealed that God is the one who is interested in making earth his home. Mm. He's descending. His messengers are coming up and down. Mm. But it, it's God who is making the stairway to heaven. <laughs> but like, it, you know, it's not man making that yes. stairway, that tower. It's God making that connection between the two. Mm. And another prophecy of like your descendants will be as numerous as the dust of the earth. Mm. Like we're, we're hearing that like sort of motif again and again that your descendants are going to be many. 
Yep. And Jacob is the first person that we're truly going to believe that, but we'll get to that next episode. All the time, it's next episode, next episode. <laughs> it's because we're reading a story, Morgan. <laughs> As you read a story, things are revealed. This is not like watching a movie where my wife goes, but what happens next? And I'm like, I don't know. We're just watching it for the first time. Or I, or, or, or when Alyssa asks that, I'm like, just then we'll explain it. Just wait. <laughs> I have the same amount of information as you do right now. I like that you brought up the fact that God seems to be reaffirming these promises here. Because mm. you have Isaac saying to Jacob, hey, the promises that were given to Abraham and then to me are now you. But we now have a heavenly source. We have Yahweh confirming that that is accurate and true and correct. Yeah, especially because at this point, it would have maybe a bit like iffy if Jacob's blessing, so um, like the blessing that Isaac gave Jacob mm. was sort of like, real or true mm. true because Isaac's heart was set on Esau. <laughs> I almost said Ishmael. I, I believe that. Isaac's heart was set on Esau mm. in wanting to give that that blessing there. Now, like obviously we have the sort of the significance and the 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 weight of the blessing that um they would have known Jacob would have known like the weight of this blessing that my father is giving me you know that birthright but I would imagine it would have been a bit like sort of maybe rocky to be like well it wasn't actually originally meant to be for me I got it is it does, does it still count is it still true like you know all, all these sort of different things but it's nice and that God reaffirms it and it's like it's now mm -hmm. truly ordained by God First time I've seen awesome used in the Bible. <laughs> Wait, which verse? 17. Yes, mine also says awesome in verse 17. What an awesome place this is. <laughs> That's sort of nice. Yeah. Verse 17. Yeah, mine says, how awesome is this place? <laughs> it's like, yeah. <laughs> I mean, it's so awesome of a place that he sets up a monument to it. I mean, fair enough, because um, if I had a dream... Of, of seeing into heaven, mm -hmm. <laughs> then yeah. Uh, Some would argue the real miracle in this story is that he was able to sleep using a stone as a cushion <laughs> in verse 11. <laughs> I read that and I was like, oh, I would not have made it in Old Testament times. No, the, uh, yeah, but I saw neck you might have. Like, just, you know, so I sometimes wake up with my fluffy, my fluffy white pillow and it's like, oh, it's not as comfy as it could be. A yeah. stone, on the other hand. Yeah, my neck's sore sometimes when I wake up and I've got a great pillow. <laughs> and he names the place Bethel. Good on him. Which means the house of God. Mm -hmm. mm. And it's nice of him to sort of say, like, if God indeed is truly with me and is protecting me, at some point I can travel back home. Yes. That it's, that That is not all lost to me that that through God I am protected and I can go home knowing that I am going to be safe. Mm. Yeah, we see Jacob really giving his devotion to Yahweh, the God of Abraham and Isaac. Mm. He basically says, thank you for the fact that I'll be able to return home. And when I do, I will donate a tithe to you as my Lord, which is showing that I believe that you are superior. I believe that you will give me everything I own and I give it back to you. Mm. Why is it Jacob's Ladder rather than Jacob's Staircase? <laughs> I just assume that in most of the earliest translations, they translated it Ladder, and therefore that is the name that stuck. Mm. A historical cultural touch point that has just sort of grabbed hold. <laughs> yeah. How about I kick us off for Go our for final it. reflections? I've been doing prep for future episodes, and there's a verse at the very end of Genesis that I think is almost the guiding principle for interpreting a whole bunch of Genesis. I probably should have brought it up earlier in the episode, but I'll bring it up now in final reflections. And this is Joseph in chapter 50 of Genesis. And he says, What you intended to harm me, God intended it for good. And so as we've been reading through this story of Jacob, we see bad actions from almost every character within these chapters we've read. We've seen Isaac repeat the sins of his father. We see Jacob and Esau at each other's throats and then Jacob deceiving him to steal the blessing. Like we see so much negativity in these stories and sometimes mm. we can wonder where is God in here? But I think what we're meant to see is that God is guiding this whole thing 
And everything that these characters do that is sinful or that is not for good, God is ultimately going to bring for a good purpose. Mm. And we are slowly getting to the point where we'll be able to see that for ourselves, even amidst the craziness and the messiness that is some of these Old Testament narratives. And that is my takeaway. I guess mine's like similar in that vein of despite the messiness of humans and the infighting humans have, the, the different quarrels and just the real sort of like human downfalls as we see in Jacob's dream, God's still there to reinforce his plan or to encourage you know, you despite what is what has happened to still sort of say, yeah, these things have happened, but I'm still with you, mm. you know, and, and it's, it's nice just to know that like God's always there with us despite, you know, yucky family dynamics or whatever, whatever happens, God, God will still be there even, even if you do have to flee because your brother wants to kill you. <laughs> mm-hmm. It's a good takeaway. Mine, I've had this takeaway before and Josh kind of touched on it before that the Bible's not all rainbows and unicorns and happiness (laughs) and there's lots of sad stories just acknowledging that I think I was very naive to that before kind of studying it in this capacity yeah Mm -hmm. I think just appreciating all the different moments not just looking for all the good and hope in the bible is really helpful when learning Mm -hmm. yeah seeing the whole like Mm -hmm. life is messy and we get to see that reflected in God's very word Mm. Mm. Yeah. So we've just given our sort of final thoughts wrapping up here, but we'd love to hear your thoughts, what your takeaways are from this story. We'd, um, if you've got any questions, send them in, or if you've just got any comments and things that we might have missed, we'd love to hear them. So follow us on different social medias, Instagram, Facebook, TikTok, TikTok, and uh, send us your thoughts. We'd love to, we'd love to hear them, but also it's a great way to sort of stay up to date with what we're, what we're doing. And if you want to financially support us, head over to Patreon. We're, we post uh, early content there, extra extra long episodes, extra content there. So if you want to support us in a financial sense, head over to Patreon. And don't forget to share this around. Share the podcast with someone who hasn't heard it, someone that may have started listening to it but needs to catch up, share it with them again. <laughs> Not only do we want the podcast to be shared around, but we want the Word of God to be able to be shared as well. Lockie, can I get you to end in prayer? Absolutely. Dear Lord Jesus, thank you for your word. Thank you for the opportunity that we have had this morning to sit and study it and try and understand you better. I also want to thank you for Jesus and for the fact that he is the true stairway between heaven and earth, that we get to read of Jacob's vision of a stairway, but we here get to live out that vision because of you and what you did for us. And so we thank you for that in your name. Amen. 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 Morgan, thank you. And thank you everyone for listening and watching. And we'll see everyone next week in next week's episode. Bye. 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 A Mustard Seed Creative Production.